Hello and welcome to All Angles. My name is Andrew Thomas. This week I am sitting down with Kathy O'Connor. Kathy has over 25 years of experience in leadership development and personal growth. She brings a unique and varied set of skills to help her clients deepen their self-awareness around their relationships, leadership, and communication styles. Kathy is a board-certified coach with the International Coaching Federation, as well as a certified practitioner of several assessment tools, particularly in the fields of behavior, motivation, and emotional intelligence. In addition to coaching, Kathy is a certified facilitator with the Association for Training and Development and enjoys customizing and facilitating workshops designed to help clients understand behavior and motivation traits to build successful and thriving relationships and teams. She lives in North Carolina where you will find her spending as much time with her family as possible and enjoying the outdoors and if weather permits, be on the water. Kathy, thank you for joining us today. I really appreciate it. Thank you, Andrew. I'm really looking forward to having a conversation about this. Yes, we've been talking about this for a while now. Our topic today is going to be over self-awareness and really how does knowing yourself really help you in your relationships, both professionally, but also personally, just kind of all around. Um, but Kathy, as I, as I like to get started with all of my interviews, I want to get to know you a little bit more. What is a compliment you would give um, give to people? What is a compliment you like to give to people? Yeah, so there's there isn't there is not one specific compliment that I feel I give more than than others. However, I do feel like when I'm giving a compliment, there's I, I'm very genuine about it. It's very mm. authentic, so it might actually seem a little a little different. So for instance, if I'm meeting somebody that I'm meeting for the first time, I really like, I'm at the end, it might be, you know, you, my compliment or my feedback is they have such, you, know, you have such a warm personality. Mm -hmm. I'm just so glad I got to know you because it just brightened my day. There's, I feel like it just makes me feel better to say exactly what I'm thinking. Yeah. People feel it. You know, you just feel it. I were to say to you, Andrew, you're one of the good guys. You're just one of the good guys. It, it's, I mean it. So it just kind of, I feel like that's kind of the way I compliment. Is yeah, there's probably a lot of people out there that know, um, that can know a situation or think about there's certain people that compliments can become off as um, disingenuous and are almost like a social cue that has to happen to get through it. But from you, it seems like your perspective is just, I'm going to give this as genuinely as possible, even if it's a small thing um, right. here or there. Right. Yeah, because yeah, it's still a way to say I connected with you, mm -hmm. even if it's a, a brief connection or a, a, a very high level connection. And and it's not every time, you know, it's, certainly there's times where it's just a pleasure to meet you. Mm -hmm. but when you're talking about a true compliment, it, it's I think it's not necessarily one specific compliment I'll say more often as much as my intention to just really pick out what was it that I really enjoyed about a particular person yeah no that makes sense has a uh, my next question is how has a stranger ever changed your life in any kind of meaningful way yes absolutely um, there's a story behind this one. Oh, I can't wait. <laughs> so, um, his name is, his name is Bryce. Mm. And, um, back in 2016, I was going through a major life transition and was moving out of the home my children and I had lived in and into a, a new home closer to the high school. We were not in the house for not maybe even a a month maybe and there's a knock on the door and it's a this young man named bryce and he was selling um pest control and i i andrew i can't even tell you what it was about him again the warmth or the the connection whatever it was um i don't even know what prompted me to invite him in the house and come on in you know let's done it was cold so it was it was in november in chicago mm -hmm. um so he came in and we talked, got to just kind of know him a little bit, come to find out he's from Utah. Um, he and a whole group of, of college students were doing this um, on a break. 
Bryce was so kind and such a, just such a nice guy. He ended up staying for dinner. He ended up getting to know we're friends on Facebook. Kelsey and all of my kids are friends on yeah. Facebook with Bryce. We, we connected them still. I don't know what it was other than I was kind of in this, oh gosh, just this different part of my, my life. And this person just showed up in the strangest circumstances, but the connection, just a, you know, nice, nice person. He, he's still to this day, probably one of the most genuine strangers I've ever gotten to know. Mm -hmm. And, um, his enthusiasm is his excitement. He had, his brother had passed recently and he was super open about that. And I think this opening, this opening. So when people, anybody talks about a stranger, I immediately think of Bryce. Yeah. So, I mean, that is this situation. He was, a, he's just trying to sell something to you. And then all of a sudden he's at dinner and okay. now you, I mean, Facebook friends, not only with you, but with all of your kids and everything. Like yeah. that is that is an incredible stranger story. Yeah, we still point. talk talk about Bryce and the the twins were sophomores going into their sophomore year in high school, mm -hmm. and um, I don't know if it was the best mom moment because of stranger danger events and stuff like that. <laughs> but it was he he just he needed a just a, a friendly face. He'd been kind of getting declined, declined, declined. Nobody wanted yeah. to talk to him, and. Um, I don't know. He yeah. brought, we gained a lot more out of it than I think he received, but it was great. We ended up, I ended up, he was meeting his friends at the movies and I gave him a ride in the movie theater. <laughs> was he just walking around the neighborhood and everything? Just... Yeah, this was door to door sales. Okay. And they were all there as a group and they went on and kept doing their thing and he disappeared, you know, yeah. and with us. And um, it was just really, I can't really tell you how he changed. Mm -hmm. All I can identify is it opened me up to realizing that strangers can have an impact just by connection, just by connecting with them. Mm -hmm. You know, here's a guy who's just trying to make a couple of extra dollars and here I am new in a different space and just, he had a zest for life. He just had a, he just had a, personality and a zest and a kindness about him and, and here we yeah. are talking about him what six years later mm -hmm. yeah he's just the energy you needed at that time to kind of help and sometimes the strangers who needs to do that more than any sort of friend or family member that is but i think exactly right. the real question i was going to ask is did you buy the pest control i did did you okay <laughs> i feel like it'd be awkward if you didn't at this point I did. I did buy it and um i was really happy with it actually i'm gonna say it was good okay. it was good service. all right so if anyone's looking for a pest control look up uh bryce on facebook <laughs> and see if he's still selling exactly uh, well nice well let's jump into our topic right we're going to talk about self-awareness um why don't you give us an explanation how did you get into this kind of line of work um, in self-awareness and like, just kind of give us a synopsis of your career to this point where now you're on a great podcast called All Angles. I know. I'm so honored. Um, <laughs> so oddly enough, my career aspirations started way back in high school. Um, I always wanted to be a guidance counselor. I just mm. really, I, I don't know what it was, just guiding people, helping people figure out, helping students figure out what they who they wanted to be and what they wanted um for themselves and i'm going to kind of out my dad here my father was not an exemplary student and he kind of was challenged by authority so he didn't have a very high regard for educators mm -hmm. and so i didn't get a whole lot of um, support in going down that track but still something i always wanted to do and when I started working in out of school. I, I my first job I was actually in the finance area. I was actually trading treasury bills with the Chicago Board of Trade. I was Series Seven licensed. I worked in New York, and I very quickly came to the realization that yes, companies need money to invest, obviously, but if you don't invest in your people, you actually don't. You're not going to have a viable company. And way back then. There was a revolving door. If, if you didn't like your job, there was two, three, four people out there who wanted your seat to mm -hmm. 
be trading treasury bills with the Chicago Board of Trade, right? Like it was just, there are a lot of um, opportunity, financial opportunity there. But I also found not everybody was happy. There weren't making connections. A lot of things were um, just based off of things and not necessarily relationships. And that's when I decided I wanted to go more into development, learning and development. And we, we ended up moving to Florida around that time. And I got a job in um, HR. Mm -hmm. I was working in the human resources area. And I, one of my mentors there was learning and development. And his name was Lewis. And Lewis had, I worked for a big entertainment company. It, it was a big entertainment warehouse. And I'm dating myself now because they were the largest distributor of pre-recorded music. It was called Alliance Entertainment. This was okay. back when it was CDs. So no, no Pandora, no Spotify. <laughs> it was actually the CDs. And it was a big warehouse. And um, in the HR department, Lewis was in charge of learning and development. And mm -hmm. he just had a way of speaking to the CEO, it was 2000 folks, CEO to the newest intern and going right after who they were and connecting with them and just making everybody feel at ease. And I thought, ah, oh, that's, that's pretty cool. So I kind of always wanted to do that. I really enjoyed that HR aspect of it. it we were also in HR. We were the advocate for the employee. Mm -hmm. That was employees have issues. They came to HR. HR was more of an advocacy for them. Then I had the twins and um, I did not go back to work for about eight years. When I went back, we were in Chicago at this point. I learned very quickly that the HR realm had adjusted and it wasn't so much advocacy for the employee. It was more protect the bottom line of the company. Mm. And it just had a different vibe and a different um, feel to it. And I remember talking to the hiring manager. I worked for a technology company out in a suburb of Chicago and saying, this just isn't for me. I just, you know, it, it doesn't have the personable feel. And he was extremely supportive and said, well, what is it going to take? You know, what, what would you like? So that's when I started suggesting coaching, development, mm -hmm. and they were great. They supported me through all of it. Actually, all my credit hours, because I'm a board certified coach with the International Coaching Federation, and I'm a certified practitioner in behavioral assessments, certified facilitator with the Association for Training and Development. I told you the certifications. They <laughs> helped me there. I would not have all those had it not been for that support from mm -hmm. that technology company. And just giving me free reign to run pilot programs and you know, yeah. lunch and learns. I just started loving it. And then once I found the behavioral self-awareness tract, then and it was just off to the races. I loved everything about behavioral work. Anything mm -hmm. that was self-awareness. There's tools that we'll probably end up talking about, the predictive index, the motivators. That's mm -hmm. kind of how I got started. Okay. Doing it ever since. Yeah. And I mean, loving it and helping you've done it on me and other people at uh, Delta SIG and everything. So tell me, why is it important to, why is it important to develop self-awareness? Why, why should I have to know myself? What does that, what does that do for me? How does that benefit me at all? Um, that's a, that's a great question. So first of all, just from a, data standpoint, like even if you don't want to talk about the, the, the touchy feely part of it, right. But from a data standpoint, <laughs> yeah. there have been so many studies, especially recently done that over and over and over the results are that self-awareness is the key indicator of success, professional success, relationship success, um, personal success. Mm -hmm. The more, you know, yourself, the deeper you, you spend time trying to figure out how you're wired, what are your strengths? Where are your challenges? The more prepared you are to face any obstacles that are coming your way or set yourself up for success and lean into folks that can support you in ways that you might not be naturally wired. Um, and to take it another step further, the more emphasis you put on self-awareness, just by default, your curiosity around other awareness and other people gets peaked. Mm. Or if I'm this way, if you start to understand what tools are out there and I'm, I'm wired this way, well, how is that person wired? Yeah. And it, it can really build deeper relationships, healthier relationships, healthier work, healthier work environments. Yeah. I was going to, my follow-up question was going to be how, 
how does this self-awareness, this knowing yourself impact your other relationships? Can you give some, maybe give some examples of, um, of how maybe know if, let's do this. If you have two questions, you have a group where you have two people who know themselves. How does that, or like with have done predictive indexes or whatever else, they know. So how does that relationship you think work or play out compared to someone who maybe one person knows himself, but then um, another person does not? Okay. So let's say you're in, in the dynamic where both folks in the relationship have a high, high level of self-awareness through mm-hmm. assessment tools, through... Um, through self-work, right? One of the biggest benefits of that is it brings a sense of objectivity to the dynamic of the relationship. So for instance, if I know that my friend or partner is a high dominant person, right? They're risk assertive, they're independent, they're they're go-getters. And I know that I'm a low dominance person. I'm more of a collaborator. I'm a consensus seeker. I want to make sure everybody's, you know, in, you know, feeling good about a situation. If we get into a, a, a place where we're not on the same page, I'm not, if I have self-awareness and I know, well, we're not on the same page because he wants it or she, he or she wants it their way. And I want to make sure everybody's covered. I'm not necessarily going to be as intimidated or frustrated or aggravated that okay that's just their dominance taking over and likewise if they're very self-aware then okay this is just my dominance taking over i Mm -hmm. want it the way i want it or you know cat's taking her time on this because she's so collaborative we can also have a really good feedback conversation around maybe i am taking my too much time on this maybe i need to get a little more risk assertive maybe i need to jump over into that realm and get a little uncomfortable but I've got somebody there. I know that they know how to do it. And likewise, maybe they need to like slow their roll and come into the consensus. Side. And that's just one factor out of four, mm-hmm. but that's kind of how that, you know, we, we can work together. So we're not taking it personally, right? It's not butting heads. I'm and it can get there, but it, that self-awareness can kind of mitigate that a little bit. Yeah. Likewise, if you have somebody who one person's aware and the other person's not the aware person can certainly help get through some of those challenges but that unaware person very likely they're going to project their own feelings and emotions and insecurities onto the other person in the relationship or they're just not going to understand they might take it personally it can just go in a lot of different directions yeah i feel like in that using that second example that is going to be a lot of the situations that someone deals with right because not everyone in this population is going to get do the self-awareness tests and understand and be able to implement it on a daily basis. Even people who do the tests and everything else and know, you know, don't necessarily in, like use the test information that they know like perfectly. Right. Um, and so it can cause, I imagine it causes a lot of, um, can cause a lot of headaches realistically for, for individuals working together. Um, let's talk about, some of the ways that someone can develop and kind of deepen their self-awareness. What are some, what are some tests? What are some um, indicators that you kind of use in your work with all of your certifications and everything? Um, what are some, what are some ways that people could um, learn them, learn about themselves? So there's obviously the personality behavior tests or assessments. They're not even tests because there's no wrong answers, right? So there's, unless it's a cognitive feature to it, there's no wrong answer on a behavioral analysis or a behavioral assessment. That's kind of the first start. And a lot of folks already know that through Mm -hmm. Myers-Briggs. That's a big one. A lot of corporations use the DISC. Um, I personally, I, I like the DISC, but I really lean in hard on a, assessment tool called the predictive index. Mm-hmm. It's just, to me, it's, it's, it's my favored tool on behavioral analysis. But when you're talking about self-awareness and behavior, that's, that's a big piece of the pie. So if you see an individual as a, as a pie, there's a lot of factors to them, right? There's, there's their personality and behavior. And that's a big chunk. That's if you've got 12 pieces of this pie, that's about three or four pieces. Okay. 
take into account their motivations, their motive, you know, there's a motivators, their values, their education, their upbringing, their culture. I mean, there's a, there's a lot at play there. Um, but that personality piece is, is a big one. And that's a great place to start because it's kind of an in your face. It's people see your personality. So mm-hmm. you can kind of see it when you get those, those responses back. If you do assessment tools, you'll get those responses back. A lot of people are just like, wow, <laughs> like, it, it totally nailed me. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's the outer layer of a person. And then to get deeper, you, you, you take that information and you, one, you, you really reflect on it and you, try to identify where am I seeing this behavior and, and where am I seeing it as a strength to me? I can lean into it. I know it's there. And where am I seeing it as a challenge where it might be, you know, tripping me up. And oftentimes our greatest strength is also our biggest liability because it can, mm-hmm. it can get at, you know, really out of the weeds on things, but that's the behavioral tools are great. You go a little bit deeper. There's a, motivator tool you find out so your behavior is your how how will you respond how will you react in a given situation mm-hmm. go deeper than that you're going into motivators what that's your why what's your passion what's driving you behind something so you can have two people andrew who have almost identical predictive index patterns in behavior but they're two totally different people because they're motivated by two totally different things mm-hmm. that goes a little bit deeper it's just kind of making yourself aware of these tools that are out there and and so many of them you can get online. Um, if you, you know, folks go deeper, they have, you know, consultants out there like myself who just let's, let's dig in there. Let's read, read through this. It also, I'm going to say it over and over, um, heightens your other awareness. It just by default, you just get curious. If I say, Andrew, here's your PI, mm-hmm. I guarantee you there's at least one, if not several people that you're immediately trying to decide, well, what's their PI, you know, mm-hmm. PI being predictive index, sorry, their behavioral yep. analysis. Um, and just by that heightened, you know, questioning and curiosity, it, it breeds deeper thinking. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Is there a, so you talk about understanding your behaviors, understanding your motivators when someone comes in, right? The how and the why, is there a process if I want to become I start thinking about like almost like Buddhism or like the self-enlightened, right? Like this person that is doing that. Is there a process that you suggest or that you um, have seen individuals uh, try of like, all right, we're going to start by knowing our behavior first. And then we have to know our motivators. Then we're going to take this slice of the pie and then this slice, then this slice. And then I feel like I understand myself in this full capacity, at least for right now at this current moment. I can't say that there's a specific process. I mean, you kind of nailed the steps and, and the levels you would go to, but um, the, if there was a process, it would certainly start with behavior. It would start mm-hmm. with knowing my house because to have that information, what you want to do is be able to use it, right? And, and mm-hmm. lean into it. So if I know my, and, and most behavioral, assessments are strengths based they're going to identify where your strengths are you want to anchor there first right Mm -hmm. before we even decide okay where's my challenges we want to anchor and every behavioral factor has a strength so whether you're high dominance low dominance there's strengths to both of those and Mm -hmm. there's achilles heels to both of those whether you're extroverted high extrovert low extrovert high stability low stability and formality um so just kind of understanding that process seeing the behavior reflected back to you. The next step in that is to get validation from people who know you, right? It's, yeah, I see that Mm -hmm. in you. I definitely, yep, that's how you are. Um, That can cause you to go a little bit deeper. Um, There's a really great aspect of, so for instance, in the predictive index, there's a how you naturally are, what's your natural behavior, and then how you perceive you need to be in a role that you're in. Because studies have also shown, this is particularly um, the case when you're talking about in work and business and in interviewing about 
half the person is actually sitting in the interview room. The other half's in the car waiting for you to answer those questions correctly and come back down, right? It's like mm -hmm. we present who we think somebody wants us to be. Well, these some of these assessment tools, the psychometric science is so well defined. It can pick up that authenticity quickly and um, identify, okay, these are their real true strengths based off responses given. Mm -hmm. um, and then the next step would be to go to motivators and then to go to emotional intelligence. But in between all that, you're having conversations, you're doing readings, podcasts, you know, getting thought influencers that resonate for you. I often tell clients, you know, I've had CEOs say, this is phenomenal in information. I, I can't get over how much it, it garnered after, you know, a five minute assessment. Mm -hmm. What do I do with it now? And um, that's the, you know, that's the key is digging deeper. You, you take it and you dig deeper and you get to know your team and you get to know your family and you get to know your relationships. It's kind of like going to the gym and saying, ah, I've been on that treadmill. I know it. It's great. I get great results from it. You got to keep getting on there. Mm -hmm. to get the consistent results. That's that kind of self-awareness can bring you. Okay. That makes sense. And I follow up question, or I guess another question I had, because you were talking about um, how people, they act differently depending on the rooms that they're in. Um, you know, I think that's a, that's a real thing that we all, we all do in society is like, if I'm with my family, I'm going to be a certain way. My friends, if I'm around you or with uh, work colleagues or anything else, I'm going to act and have a different face on. Um, but how, how does your real identity really differ from, um, how does your real identity differ from who you are in different settings? And maybe kind of a follow up is how can someone answer like, who am I to my core? Okay, that's a deep question. <laughs> I'm gonna throw that in right at the very beginning of this podcast. So third, third question asked. <laughs> who am I at my core? I mean, the level of intentional thought and meditation and just, questioning you have to go to get to there honestly i think that's in a world on its own and even in deep, you know a, a partner question to that is um how do i be the most genuine me perfect yeah i i, I can be and if you don't do self-awareness work if you don't even try to figure out who are some of, what is some of the genuineness of you? What is some of the behavioral parts of you? And then accept those. So for instance, I'm a low dominance person. I, I, I can get there. I need to be assertive. I can get there. <laughs> like, I'm a mom, right? Yeah, so, okay, you're still yeah. a mom. We know it's in there. I've seen it. <laughs> <laughs> right? But for all intents and purposes, my natural behavior is a consensus seeker. Um, there's that part of you that says, but I want to be more assertive. You know, I want to be more, you know, especially in that realm, because I'm a leadership coach. So in that leadership level, that is that high dominance can be a very valued, optically a very valued trait, but so can that collaboration. And so it's kind of coming to the understanding that, wait a minute, I don't need to be something I'm not. I need to be a deeper um person and who I actually am, that consensus seeker in me has a lot of value. Mm -hmm. I need to be aware when it trips me up, but I also need to not wish I was something different. I need to embrace who I am. And um, once you get to there, that's where that genuineness comes in, where you can kind of lay down some of that, why do I have to be this and this and this for other people in the room? I'm of the opinion that if I'm the most authentic and genuine me, that I'm just giving the room a feel and a permission for everybody else to be that too. Just be you. Yeah. You just be you. I'll just be me. We're, we both got great, great talents and we both got some big flops, right? Like, mm -hmm. but I feel like that's where self-awareness, I mean, you can calm a room with that is being genuine and authentic and that other people feel like it's safe to be that same thing. Yeah. That can be powerful. Yeah, and that kind of goes back to that first question about the the compliment of just being just being genuine with whatever you do. Um, interesting. One of the things that I know you you work on 
uh, with that clients that you work with are people who might not want to do self-assessments. You know, they're, they're like either I know myself already, right? I'm this, that, or the other. I took a Myers-Briggs, but maybe they didn't under, like, they didn't fully understand it, right? Kind of what you said, they, they might take it, but then they, they throw it off. Um, so my question is like, how, how do you help someone accept some of these results, right? If we were talking before the interview started just about um, some transformational moments that you had with um, some of the clients that you work with, but like, how do you get there? How does someone, if, you know, I take something, how do I accept these results or how do I become more genuine as we were kind of saying? Typically when someone is not accepting whatever their results are, it's because those personality or behavioral traits have somehow it's been ingrained in them that they're quote weaker. Mm. That's, you know, you need to be this or you need to be that. So part of that acceptance is exposing clients to this idea that maybe it's not the trait that is what's causing them the distress. It's the attached narrative they're putting to the trait. And digging down into the fact that every trait has strengths. They, it just does. It's also, you know, a lot of times, especially in the work world, I work with companies and we use this tool for hiring. A lot of folks want to hire mini me's, right? Oh, you know, they mm -hmm. just, they get, they, they tend to kind of gravitate towards a mini me, someone very much like them. But then what happens is it causes these gaps, right? And you need a balanced team. You need balance of all the different traits. And gosh, even when I first started doing this, anybody who was not kind of different from the rest of the team, they called them outliers. Well, that in and of itself is an isolating term, right? So mm -hmm. instead now when I'm doing teamwork and gap finding is what we call it, those are balancers. They're not outliers, they're balancers. And I think it's all about the language. It's all about the language. If you get a really, you know, a good coach or you get, you read really good thought process, uh, thought influencers, the language used around it so that you understand far better, you know, you are, you are an individual, you are unique, far better. There's harmony rather than homogeny, right? I, we don't mm -hmm. want everybody to be the same. So I think that's been that's where I usually start from is all right what is the what is the narrative you have attached to this that you have such resistance in embracing that this is actually who you are mm -hmm. um, I've had phenomenal experiences with folks who have come to me and said nope nope this is totally wrong not who I am I've also worked with some of these folks for a long period of time and have stories from their past where I'm saying well remember you know when you said for instance I worked with somebody who came back as a high dominance and she just didn't see herself that way. Well, literally the month prior, she was um, going for her master's and there was a group project and nobody from the group was working. Nobody from the group was working. So the weekend before it was due, she's like, I'm going to be at this Panera and I'm going to be working here, here, and here. If you want to join me, come, here's what we'll be doing. I think five out of the six group members showed up. Everybody was assigned. So here she's coming and going, but I don't think I'm dominant. I don't think I'm assertive enough. And I'm like, Hmm, well, let's, let's go back. Let's rewind. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so I think that was part of it. I think sometimes too, and this could be a slippery slope, <laughs> but there can be gender conformities, right? But some folks, mm. there's certain personality traits that are, wouldn't be considered socially, you know, gender appropriate. And, um, and that we got to get rid of those, you know, we no. just have to get rid of those. I, a lot of times when I'm doing um, hiring suggestions, that stuff is scrubbed. Like here's the, you know, any kind of gender bias or anything that could, could show towards anything that's scrubbed. Here's the candidates. Here's what yeah. you're looking at. Um, so that's been kind of interesting because sometimes when they're not, if somebody's, I, I can't, I keep going to the dominance trait. There's more than that, right? There's extroversion and stability. But if it's, you know, I, it's just different. It's just, yeah. those are other things. No, that makes sense. And I really liked going back to one of the points you said, I really like that changing the outliers to balancers because I, you're right. I've been on teams where everyone's kind of the same, um, you know, and 
working with fraternities and everything else, that's you recruit guys that are uh, very similar to uh, to each other. And then that that can cause a lot of issues because you don't have those other people and they start to exclude the allies. So I like that trying to tr say balancers rather balancers. than than outliers. I think that's yeah. a, that's a they, really good they piece. Fill the gaps. I, I had a an executive team, nine folks on an executive team, C-suite and um, executive vice presidents. And on the entire team, not one of them was a high extrovert. Well, you can imagine when COVID hit, there were also no town hall meetings. There were mm -hmm. no announcements. There was, no one was took over that space. And I'm not saying that low extroversion traits don't do that, but I'm just saying it wasn't a natural affinity for them to say, oh, how are we going to communicate this? And yeah. how do we get in front of the group? And how do we, we, you know, literally speak to them? Um, so it was a little bit of coaching around that and, and either pulling out the highest extrovert on that team mm -hmm. or as they were reorging down the line, that might be a trait we're looking for to add value to this team. Someone who has feels very comfortable speaking in front of groups and engaging, you know, in a speak, think, speak manner. Mm -hmm. um, and that's, that's where it can really be helpful to also identify balancers. Yeah, no, that, I think that makes sense in, that's a good example. I think when looking at it, like it's, it's not negative, but it, Anyone can do it. It's just not that natural ability to do it. Tell me, what are some examples or ways that someone has used their assessment data and information um, to support their relationships? And so you've given a couple. Is there one that you think is um, maybe stands above the rest that is just like this, this person or this team um, took the information that I did and just knocked it out of the ballpark. They, they fully embrace it, ready to go. Yeah, I have a couple. My favorite, my favorite one is, again, I'm going to go back to the behavioral assessment, right? The self-awareness predictive index. Um, one of my favorite people I've ever worked for, executive vice president of human resources at a company, um, and she is what we call high formality. So she dots all her I's, she crosses all her T's, very thorough, very organized, very precise. Yeah. Um, just for context, the opposite of that, a low formality person is flexible, um, tolerant of ambiguity, rules or guidelines, and not always rules, but mm. very casual, adaptable nature, right? So there's strengths on both sides. Cautions on both sides, like a high formality person can get really stuck in perfectionism. Mm -hmm. And a low formality person can get really um, stuck in not necessarily making everybody comfortable because they're so flexible. Well, this person is high formality. So dots every I's cross every T. Um, also, very, her name's Sam, and very busy, very busy, the most outgoing, beloved person in this company. And all the time, um, people would walk by and they'd knock on her door real quick and say, hey, Sam, you got a minute? Hey, Sam, you got a minute? So much so that I actually made a nameplate that was like H-E-Y-S-A-M was the first name and you got yeah. a minute was the second name. <laughs> like, oh my gosh, everybody. And she would drop everything and do it, right? Just no. stop and do it. Well, then through the behavioral work and the self-awareness work, she came to find out that it would benefit her and everyone else. And she started doing this frequently was, yes, if, if you need me right away, I, I sit down, we can talk. But if you want my best self, put some time on my calendar, just give me a few bullet points of what you want me to work on. And then when we get together, I'll knock it out of the park. Mm -hmm. And man, did that just change the dynamic? So one, there was control for her to get the information she wanted. So she was really leaning into that strength that she has said, well, hold on, let me get information because I work really well with information. But let me also kind of set it up so I'm not working in the ambiguity. I, it's there. I, you know, I can kind of get some clarity around what, what we're focusing on. She had time to think about it. And sure enough, you know, and a good portion of the folks would be like, okay, great. I'll make time with you for tomorrow, right? Or I'll make time with you after lunch or whatever. Mm -hmm. That was that was a shifting point for her to to say, I don't have to be have a minute for everybody. I can I can advocate for myself that way. Mm -hmm. um, 
I had another executive who, again, on the high formality side, but collaborative, she was having a meeting with um, someone who was very, very, very dominant. And it was not a good meeting. It was, they were going to have to put this person on a performance plan. It was going to be a problem. And um, she was getting ready for it. And she came in, I was in a, in a meeting. And she's like, all right, I'm just going to, I'm just going to turn up my dominance. I'm just going to turn it up. I'm going to become assertive. I'm not going to let them bowl me over. And it was like, no, don't go into somebody else's strengths arena. Mm-hmm. If it's not yours, stay where you are strong. This person, I mean, talk about knowing, knowing their stuff. I mean, t- an expert. Lean into that. You've got the data. You've got the facts. You've got the conversation. And sure enough, it was not an easy conversation. And this other individual definitely pushed back. But when it was over and they walked out, literally the comment was, all right. That was not, I, I don't like what I heard, but I respect the fact that you just kept making sure I heard it. Mm-hmm. Um, so again, those opportunities to say, okay, this is where I'm strong. I need to lean into it. I need to, I need to show up for myself. Yeah. Better to be genuine in yourself than try to lean in going back to that genuine statement yeah. that we will probably keep repeating throughout. throughout <laughs> you hear me say it all the time. <laughs> So let's let's shift gears a little bit um, and really want to talk. I want to talk kind of in a professional setting. So some of these examples have been professional, some personal, but I think in a professional setting, you know, you may be able to learn more about your strengths, weaknesses, and kind of what your needs are. But how do you get members of your team to want to conduct these self-assessments? So if I'm just, if I'm, I'm no, you know, Kathy O'Connor, expert, self-awareness guru person. Like, how do I how do I help my team want to conduct these self-aware or self-assessments and want to understand what their needs their needs are and how they how we can work together in that team? Like, what are some tips that you might have? Um, the first tip is the idea that I'm gonna go back to the very first statement about studies show self-awareness is the number one key indicator of success. And that's just, why wouldn't you want that? And again, that can be success in a professional setting. That can be success in, in pretty much any setting. The, the better I know me, the better me I can be continue to grow into, the better me I can bring into any situation, right? So I think that's, to me, that's the number one mm-hmm. carrot in all of that. Um, I think, too, if you peek, people's curiosity. So if I were to say, well, I know this about me, Andrew, I know that I'm, you know, this way, I know this is important to me. I know what these are my motivators. Doesn't that just make you curious? Well, what are my motivators? What's important to me? (laughs) How how am I wired? Um, I think that's, you know, to talk to somebody's curiosity, let's figure you out. Let's figure us out. Let's figure out, you know, how we work well together. Um, And then talking to the value the value of someone. If I know what my strengths are, I know one, I can confidently rely that I'm going to bring value to a situation with them. Cause I, I know they're there. I can trust on them. I also know what they're not. And if I'm in a room with somebody and they have, they're self-aware or they have to, for instance, to your, to your question, how you know, do the self-assessment work, they've done it. I know I can lean on them to carry that area of a problem or a situation or a conversation that is just not in my wheelhouse. So I'm not going to be comfortable. That doesn't mean we don't challenge ourselves and we don't stretch because that's important too. But just sometimes you just need a break, right? So to have somebody else on the team and they, they're feeling valued. I'm literally being able to say, Hey, look, this is, this is your domain. How about you take this one? You know, yeah. um, I mean, who doesn't want to feel valued for, for the right reasons in the right mm-hmm. way. And, um, and it, this is where it really does go across all lines. You have that work experience, right? We have this, we, let's say we're working together. We have this meeting and I'm literally identifying for you, Andrew, you bring this talent to this situation. And I really appreciate it. That's going to go home with you. Mm-hmm. 
you're going to feel valued in that trait at work, but you're also going to know, okay, whoa, this just happened, you know, uh, trying to come up with an example, but there's just little ways like, uh, okay. So for instance, I know I'm directionally challenged. Mm -hmm. I'm going to admit I'm directionally challenged. <laughs> if I don't have a GP, thank God for GPS. Yeah. Like it's just, the days of Matt Quest are over to where right. print off well, all the quests. And you're, I'm going way back. The days when we used to have triptychs and you had to look at a physical map. Um, but man, do my children that are not directionally challenged, and I will not name which ones are and which ones are not because I don't want to spike that competition. <laughs> they know who they are. Yeah. Boy, do they know that I need them. Mm -hmm. And can they rise to that occasion? And it's not me trying to be something I can relax into. Hey, you got this because I'm not good for me versus I don't know. And they don't know. And I just don't know why I'm frustrated. I can't quite figure out why am I frustrated? I'm just feeling frustrated. Well, no, now I've got that awareness. I know because that's just not my thing, but somebody yeah. else in the car, it is their thing. Why not just let them do it? Right. Mm -hmm. It just, it, it just brings a, a connectedness. Yeah. No, that makes sense. And I think I, I do like your example of, I think the directionally challenged, even though that's not a, obviously one of your indicators and in the things like it's, it's a easy world, like real world example in that. And it's important when, when it's not your strength to let someone else do it in that, in that. End. Well, like and it that. does tie to a behavioral strength. So that's a formality, right? Yeah. Details and precision and all that. Mm. Not my strength. That's not, I'm the flexible yeah. <laughs> rules or guidelines. I'm not yeah. a gray in my thinking. I'm not a black and white thinker. Yeah. Um, that serves me really well for the job that I do, but it does not serve me well when I'm got to get somewhere and I don't have directions and I'm, I'm just not detail oriented that way. Yeah. Yeah. It's tough. Mm -hmm. Is there any, is there any companies or um, maybe other settings that have used these self, self assessments that you might um be able to share like some examples of like hey google does this and it's great or just some someone's in the field well there's so many companies especially use behavioral traits um or behavioral assessments because the behavior part is a big deal the how it's just so i don't know i can't back this this comment up with any kind of scientific like data or anything like that or, or refer to a study but there are some schools of thought that your behavior is hardwired to you as your natural dominant writing hand. So far better that we get it right when we're hiring, mm -hmm. right? Far better that I'm putting someone in a position where their behavior is so aligned with that position so that they are writing with their natural dominant writing hand. Because we all know that if I, like I'm right-handed, if I was told for eight hours a day to write with my left hand, I, I'm going to be tired. I'm not going to be productive. I'm going to be frustrated. Behavior does the same thing. So by some trains of thoughts, I'm, I actually, I've been doing this so long. I can see where that, that's a, that's a common theme. Mm -hmm. um, so comp, a lot of companies do do it for hiring. One of the companies I work for um, specifically, they don't, they use what they call the Holland profile, which is a career based assessment tool. Okay. Um, and they have a client that has 30,000 employees. It's, it's, I mean, it just, the large company. You, know you got to know it. Um, so I do think a lot of a lot of corporations, more corporations are using it than not. More big corporations, especially, but I think even smaller companies are coming on board. They're seeing it, and it's it's so worth whatever the cost um, is involved, because especially when you're talking about hiring, um, but also just for team building. I use it. I used it a lot in mergers and companies that do M and A's merging mm -hmm. acquisitions because then it's team trusting um had a great experience doing a lunch and learn where one guy was very extroverted and the, a person he was an outside sales inside sales was very introverted mm -hmm. we did a fun little lunch and learn on all of it and at the end of it his name was lewis and he popped up and he was like oh my gosh so when you don't call me back and you email me every time I reach out to you, it's not because you don't want to talk to me. It's because you're more comfortable emailing and writing. Mm -hmm. And Dave was in inside sales. He's like, exactly. He's like, oh my gosh. So it's not that you don't like me. It's just that that's just not your MO. 
yeah. mean, that's breaking down a wall, right? Like that's, that's well, the guy who's extroverted is gonna feel like this guy's ignoring me, he doesn't like me, whatever. And then you know, you're merging companies, so then you're just seeing that friction happen when it's it's really just a misunderstanding. It's, it's not a misunderstanding, and don't take it personal because when people say it's not me, it's you, yeah, really truly, it's yeah. <laughs> or it's not you, it's me, right? It's not you, it's me, it's yeah. me. This is me. This is how I am. And that's yeah. how you are. Um, so a lot of, I can't name, I mean, I would, the list would just be going on forever, just, but mm -hmm. um, so many companies use it and there's so many different ways to use the tools, but you don't need to go to a company to get this information. Right? Mm -hmm. I mean, it's, it's out there. You can do a predictive index, go online. Now yeah. You can do one. You don't necessarily get the read back and the general understanding of what it all means, mm -hmm. but you can get one and that's a great place to start. Um, yeah. Can you tell us, can you list, maybe tell like list off, explain a couple that if I was a list, you know, if I'm a listener and I want to uh, figure out myself a little bit more, like where should I start? What are some, um, what are some tests? What are some assessments that I can do uh, right now? To you can go. So, yeah, so you can do, um, you can do a Myers-Briggs online, um, Again, I don't know. I don't know the freemium version of that. Like how much, mm -hmm. um, how much detail it goes into. But that's that's a that's a behavioral assessment. That's a way to go. You can do a predictive index. You can go right to the predictive index site. And you can do an assessment. It just it gives you a taste of what a report will look like. Um, that report is the one that tells you who you are in your natural state, how you perceive you need to be in the role that you're in, and then it aggregates those two um, data points and tells you how you're being perceived by others. Like, mm -hmm. how are you coming across other that's a big deal too right like that's oh because who you are in your natural state is it, no matter how much you even try intentionally to to adjust that is going to come through any adjustments you're making are going to affect that and so you get that perception piece mm -hmm. um so that's a good one um i if somebody's very serious about this there's a assessment tool out there called the motivators it's by a group called well they were called the uh, culture works. I believe they're under a rebranding. Um, but if there's a book you can get and there's a code in the back of the book. So we didn't even touch on the motivators, but man, that is a powerful, powerful assessment tool. Um, it's, it's the, you know, people talk about onions. That's another layer of the onion behind behavior because it's, that speaks really to you. And it's, how, mm -hmm. it's why it's your why, like what's mm -hmm. your passion around something? When I first took the motivators tool and, and the tool, this tool was um, the study behind it was commissioned by um, two of my favorite thought influencers, Chester Elton and Adrian Gostick. Chester and Adrian have written so many best-selling books, um, but it was one of the largest studies on behavior um, ever done at its time. I think there were 800,000 participants and it was narrowed down to all these different motivator aspects by organizational psychologists. I mean, it, it's, it was a well done study. They then narrowed it down to 23 measurable motivators. And really what you're focusing on is your top seven and your bottom three. And it's just what, what, you know, what's really important to you. Well, I first took it because we were looking to um, partner with the company I worked for at the time to go deeper, deeper into this self-awareness work. This was a great tool. And I got my results back, Andrew, and I was like, nope, 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 not me. <laughs> I call BS on this one. Nope. Yeah. Because it said family is one of them, is obviously a motivator, right? Mm -hmm. Well, family for me was listed third. I'm like, what? Ooh. No. How is this family's number one. Of course, family's <laughs> number one. Autonomy was listed number one for me. Mm. And my number two motivator, oddly enough, was fun. Right. So it was autonomy, fun, and then family. And I was like, absolutely not. It's got to be family. I don't know why I was so offended at the time. But interestingly enough, I lost all confidence in that tool until I took my own advice. And I was like, okay, Beth, do, do what you tell everybody to do. Share it with somebody that knows you really well. So I shared it with Brendan, my son, Brendan. And he read through it and he's like, I don't see what the problem is. He's like, this is you to a T. <laughs> I was like, what are you talking about? How is family not my number one? And he very adeptly pointed out that, mom, 
you were the one when we run cross country and everything, everybody wants to carpool. You're like, fine, we can carpool, but I'm driving, right? I want that autonomy. I want mm-hmm. to, you started your own business. Yes, you're collaborative because my behavior is collaborative, right? So that they mm-hmm. can coexist. I can be a collaborative behavioral type with an autonomy motivator, meaning mm-hmm. I comfortable working on my own and where I actually like dig, digging into things on my own, but I'm still going to be collaborative and how I deliver it and what I want it to look like and, and who I want involved and they can coexist. So, yeah. and I, that's where I got tripped up with, wait a minute, how can these things exist in the same realm? And so he really pointed out to me all these ways. And then of course they showed it to two of my coworkers that I absolutely trust. And again, they laughed me out the office like, oh, it's so you. <laughs> like, oh my gosh. The fun factor did not surprise me because I, I mean, you're a ton of, you're a ton of fun. So of course. well, and I shared with you even before we started this, that, you know, for my mom's 80th birthday, we're playing Hollywood squares, right? <laughs> like, yeah. So building up these really fun, memorable, let's, let's, mm-hmm. if we're going to do it, let's have a lot of fun. Um, but that's a great tool. I, okay. I cannot stress that one enough. Um, and then thought leaders, you know, who resonates for you? There's a great podcast out there called the self-awareness journey. Um, Again, anything by Chester Elton and Adrian Gostick. There's um, another podcast out there called Coaching for Leaders. Marshall Goldsmith is is probably one of the the most well-renowned coaches in the world. Um, And he he hosts on that podcast, which I really like. In any one of these websites or podcasts, they've also got blogs, right? Like Mm -hmm. PI has a blog, Marshall has a blog, Chester and Adrian, they all have blogs and articles you can find their articles written um yeah i'm any one of those things i'm trying to think um no these are perfect and all of these as with any any resource will all be shared within the show notes that people can have access to um you know i'll link the pi myers briggs and the motivators all in there that way someone could just hop right in and do the self-assessments um are there any other books articles podcasts i know we kind of jumped on that. Is there anything else that you would want to suggest to people? But I think all these, all these sound awesome, like great. And I'm going to be linking them all. Yeah. In the um, the only thing I would say that I'm in, I'm of the practice of constantly is looking at Ted talks mm. and it's not just listening to the Ted talk. It's identity. It's taking, taking it the next step and identifying which Ted talks are speaking to me, which ones are resonating to me. That doesn't necessarily give you any identification of your behavior or your motivation, but it's a, also another self-awareness, like what's important to me? Like what's, what, what am I finding value in and interest in and, and just taking it deeper? Mm-hmm. And there's no downside to that other than the time it takes to listen to them, but we all are driving somewhere or working out or something. Yeah. Um, those can be very meaningful and just great content. So they're the TED app and find what you like and make it a practice every week to find one TED talk or one video or just taking that time to meaningfully look for something that interests you mm-hmm. and then take it the next step further and share it with people and see if it interests them. And, the benefit to that is you start to get content comes back to you. People start sharing back and forth and it just starts to expand your knowledge base around almost anything and everything, but it deepens your understanding of what's important to you. Yeah. I think that is a perfect way to end this podcast. So Kathy, I really appreciate the time to talk to you, get you on the show. So, you know, I think one of this stuff is really important for people to, to start to incorporate in their lives. Um, I know you've helped me do that personally and I'm trying to now help out some other people. So I really appreciate it. Thank you so much. It has been a great conversation. Andrew, thank you. I just had, as always, have so much fun talking (laughs) with you. Obviously I love this stuff and I just appreciate you giving me the opportunity to to share some of the stuff that's so important to me. So thank you so much for having me.